0: John chapter 4 verse 24. Please look around you. If someone doesn't have a Bible, you share your Bible with them, please. Look forward to tonight's service, and we'll be, we'll be back in our series this evening uh, entitled Family Portrait. I'm going to preach a message tonight entitled Double Trouble. Ever heard that before? And we're going to see that tonight about uh, some double trouble there and what the remedy is for. It has a good Christmas weave into that for tonight. John 4 verse 24. Say amen if you're there. Sorry, I was in John chapter three. God is a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah is, is it cometh, which is called Christ. And when he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. And upon this came his disciples, and marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, What seekest thou, or why talkest thou with her? Then the woman left her water pot, and went her way into the city, and saith to the men, Come, see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Would you read verse 29 aloud with me, please, together? Come, See, a man which told me all things that ever I did, is not this the Christ? I read the story of a man that was on a ship, that the ship encountered some perilous waves and got caught up in a storm. And he was the only survivor of, a, of this shipwreck. And somehow, miraculously, he got a, latched onto a piece of floating debris or wood and made his way to an island. The only survivor to make it on the island. As far as he knew, the island was uninhabited. And, of course, going there, he realized that just a few things washed up on shore. He didn't really know what to do. And his first reaction, like yours and mine would be, was one of fear. And he started crying off the first time. That man started crying to God. He said, God, if you're there, help me. Help me, Lord. I need some help here. And he looked across the horizon, hoping he'd see a ship of some kind come along the way. He saw nothing. So after a couple of days of just being in that situation, the man just decided, well, I've got to make the best of things here. And so he... Uh, he went up on top of a hill and he built a hut. He just took some materials and built a hut. He said, well, I've got to take care of myself. And so he built a hut and started doing that there. And he built a fire and right near near that, he just learned how to do those kind of things. And so one day after several weeks had gone by, he just got used to doing that. And every day he would just come out of that little hut he made and add a few more leaves and a few more branches to, to kind of strengthen it. And, and uh, he would have to get some twigs and, uh, and, uh, and materials like that so he could build a fire every day. And he started to learn that he had to go fishing to get his, his food. And he'd go foraging through the, the woods there, through the outer area to get some things. And he tried to just kind di- uh, of discern what was edible and things like that. But one day, unbeknownst to him, that the, when he made that fire the night before, that, it, that there was some embers still burning, and he got a little bit too close to his hut. And while he went away into that, the wooded area to go find some food, that his hut caught on fire. And as he was t- turned around, he was making his way back, he saw this smoke billowing up in the sky, and he said, what is the smoke from? And as he got a little closer, he realized that his hut was on fire and was burning. And of course, you have to imagine, this man is feeling discouraged because he's on the island. There's no other person on the island. He's a shipwreck survivor. He's been there several weeks. He has no idea what's going on. And the only thing of a meaningful possession he had was this this hut that was going up in flames. And it went up in flames, and he just kind of sat down on the sand, buried his head in his hands, and just started crying. As he did so, uh, within a, a, a little bit of while later, he heard the this, this sounds, and it sounded like people walking. And he looked across where he was about maybe about 100, 200 feet away from the beach, and he saw a, a, a boat come up with several men. And they saw him, and he said. What are you doing here? They said, oh, you must, you must be the man that we're looking for. He said, well, how did you know I was here? And this is what they said. We saw your smoke signal where a ship is out there. We saw your smoke signal going up in the sky. And so we responded to your smoke signal. Now, he didn't burn his hut on, on purpose to, b- to build a smoke signal. But there's a thought as we go into the mess today. Did you know that perhaps what you think is a difficulty might be sending smoke signals above and someone's there to help you? And we're going to see today how maybe the smoke the smoke and difficulty, the fires of trial, and the fires of difficulty might be just exactly sending the smoke up to help you get your attention that you need God in your life. And this morning, I want to preach a message that goes right with our Christmas theme, the truth for hurting people. We're going to visit a story this morning, a real story, a real story. A woman that was hurting, her hurt was beyond description by words. But she met Jesus at the well, and her fate and her life was changed. And we're going to see that this morning, how it can encourage our hearts as we go into the message. Father, bless your word today. We're so encouraged by, oh, Lord, just everything that's transpired leading up to this moment. Thank you for the offering that was taken. Thank you, Lord, for the uh, beautiful music we heard today from the choir and Mrs. Medina. Thank you, God, for the congregation singing. Lord, we have had a wonderful time today. Thank you for the Bible hour. Thank you for our baptismal candidates today. Thank you just for safety and journeys, mercies to church. And thank you today that you knew we needed to be in the house of God today. Bless, I pray, the service, the preaching of your word, this time together. Speak to our hearts. Lord, we are a people longing to know truth in our lives. Would you help us to see the truth for hurting people today? We pray for this now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, let's see, nine days from now, Christmas will be here. And uh, I'm not going to go with the theme of the 12 days of Christmas, but I will say this is going to be here pretty quickly. I just, uh, just was thinking we were just in Thanksgiving, counting down the days, and now we're about nine days away. Christmas is family time. Christmas is singing time. Christmas is gift exchanging time. Christmas is eating time. I love that part, amen? You know, Christmas is just a fun time that we get to have with one another. And uh, today we are in a passage of Scripture, though not necessarily dealing with Christmas, we will see the application of Jesus Christ in this story for us. For those who've been around the Bible, invariably you've read John chapter 4 many times. You probably have heard many messages from John chapter 4. It's about the story of the Lord Jesus Christ... Going to a specific city. The name of the city was Samaria. Actually, an area called Samaria. The name of the city he went to is called Sychar. And that area, Sychar, which probably meant Shechem back in the Old Testament, was very prominent because the patriarch Jacob uh, had his flocks down there and he dug up a well and he deeded that well to his son Joseph, as we'll read here in this passage of scripture. It was kind of the hub, the place of activity for all the people of Sychar. It was a wonderful place they went to. And we'll talk. Talk about wells and the significance of wells in just a minute, but it was a place as far as this woman we're going to read about today. It was a place that this woman found solace and co- tried to find comfort and solace and help for life. It's the story of what helps us to understand how Jesus Christ gives living water to those who are spiritually thirsty. It's a beautiful picture this morning about God's truth for hurting people. Let's go into the study. I want you to go back to the beginning of chapter four and notice several things that we find in this passage. If you'll take some notes this morning, number. One, let's see this woman in her miserable regrets. This woman was a woman living in a world of regrets. She was in miserable regrets. Now, I don't know if you've ever felt miserable, but a best description of miserable might be after you've had your wisdom teeth taken out. Amen? You know, or maybe like some people are experiencing right now, they're going through the flu and their body's racked with pain and they're going through fevers and they've got all kinds of issues going on. They don't want to be near anybody or someone going through some kind of sickness. I mean, when you're miserable, you are miserable. You don't want to be around anybody. You feel terrible. You feel like you're the only one in the world that has the problems. And we see a woman of Samaria. This woman was going through what I call miserable regrets. Now, first of all, let's, let's do some background study. Samaria was a, was a part of Israel. The kingdom of Israel was united at one time and then they divided. There was a division that happened under King Rehoboam who was, the, who was the son of King Solomon. And there was what they called the northern kingdom and they had the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was called Samaria or, or excuse me, Israel and the center of Israel was Samaria. The southern kingdom was Judah and their capital was Jerusalem. So it, just a little bit of that background there. As, as Israel went about, we read about these kings that, uh, there were two separate sets of kings. The kings over Israel and the kings over Judah. Well, the kings over Israel, we don't read about one good king. All of them were very, very, uh, they they just had a lot of issues. They were sinful men. They were extremely idolatrous. They disobeyed God's laws. They did a lot of terrible things. And along the way, the people followed that. And along the way, God had to chasten or discipline the nation of Israel. And one of the means he did that was that God raised a world power Now one of the things that you can read about the Bible that gives authenticity and validity to the Bible is we see the validation of world history through the Bible there. You see that through the book of Daniel and other books like that. One of those validations we find is a nation called the Assyrians. Now the Assyrians which were from Assyria were a great world power uh, during the time, uh, at one time. And they were a very barbaric people. They were the conquering people before the Babylonians became very great. And the Assyrians were the ones who implemented a lot of the cruel and very terrible punishments like crucifixions originated with them and a lot of cruel things they did just a lot of terrible things they just had imagination for evil and the, God used the Assyrians to be the chastening arm or disciplining arm of God against the, the, the people of, of, of Israel which was in Samaria well over time the Israelites never repented the, the people of Israel and so, uh, all over time, the, the, the people of Israel, of, that, of the nation, of the ten tribes, they were assimilated with the Assyrians. And through that assimilation, the, the, there was an intermingling of marriage between the Assyrians and these people of Israel. And so, they became known as Samaritans. So, as we get to John chapter 4 with that background, the people of Samaria, and these people lived in Sychar, they were people that, were, if you would, they, were, they, they had a commingled culture. They had a commingled ethnicity. They were part Jew. They were part Assyrian. Well, as we look at the Sam- Samaritans, we have to understand the dynamic of the racial overtones in that. Racism is not nothing new. Racism has been around since sin came into this world. Racism is terrible. Racism is unbiblical. Racism is not looked upon favorably by God. And so we look at the situation, and the Jews, which were very stout and very proud of their, of their race, they were, very, they, you would, they were very racist and very, very embittered against the Samaritans. The Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans, and the Samaritans had no dealings with the Jews, because they looked at the Samaritans and said, well, you're a half people. We want nothing to do with you. And so there was just this tension there. Well, we find something very interesting. The average Jew, the typical Jew, would only go through Samaria, only if they had to go through there for some kind of business reason. But we see our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God. As we start chapter 4, which you notice what it says here? Jesus is leaving Jerusalem. He's leaving the area of Judea, excuse me, in verse 3, and departing, uh, uh, leaving Jerusalem, excuse me, to go back to Galilee. And notice in verse 4, it says, he must needs go through Samaria. Now Jesus could have taken many different pathways to go back to the area of Galilee, but he chose to go through Samaria. He went from Jerusalem, which was south of Samaria, and he chose to go up through the mountainous area to go through Samaria. Now he went there for a purpose. He didn't go there to take a shortcut. He didn't go there because he was going for a, a, a tour in geographical reasons. He went there because in his foreknowledge, his ability to know things, there was a woman who would make her way to this well we're going to read about, and there Jesus went there for that person. Now just a thought I want to tell you. Jesus individualizes the story. Jesus meets you and I at the place of our need. Jesus meets you and I exactly where we're at. Jesus knows what's going on in our life. Jesus knows what's going on in our hearts. Jesus knows when we're happy. He knows when we're hurt. He knows when we have plenty. He knows when we have pain. He knows when we have joy. He knows when we're in sorrow. He knows all those things. And unbeknownst to the disciples who are with him, and these are young men in training for the ministry, following the Lord Jesus Christ as they're following him, he's leading them to understand the essence of ministry, and that he purposely chose to go through Samaria, to go specifically to a city called Sychar, to help this woman known as called the woman of Samaria here. Now, we notice here, as we get to chapter 4, this is a woman filled with regrets. In John chapter 4, we're going to see something about this woman's past. In John chapter 4, we're going to see something about this woman's people. In John chapter 4, we're going to see something about this woman's problems. And in John chapter 4, we're going to see something about the path this lady would take. And so notice several things about this woman's regrets. Why do you say, Brother Fogg, she was living in regrets? Why would you say she's a hurting person? Well, notice first of all, in verses 5 through 7, here is a woman that is withdrawn. She felt isolated. She pulled away from things. I read a humorous story about a man that was diagnosed with a very contagious condition. And he went to see his doctor and the doctor did a series of tests on him. And as they did so, they realized what he had. He said, sir, we've got to put you in an isolation unit. And we've got to get you away from everybody else. And we're going to feed you a diet of pancakes and pizza. And so the man was thinking, well, you're going to isolate me. And so he asked a question. He said, well, if you're feeding pancakes and pizza, will the pizza and pancakes help my condition? And the doctor said, no, but that's the only thing we could think of that we could slide under the door in your condition. Amen. You know, and, and I'm reminded today, sometimes when we are hurting, we feel isolated and withdrawn from other people. We feel very very distant. This woman was isolated. She was withdrawn. Notice some things it tells us. In verse 4, Jesus came, must needs go through Samaria. Notice verse 5. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. We see a couple of things here. Number one, we see the location of where he purposed to go to in Sychar was. Jacob's well. Now Jacob's well was a very prominent spot. If you lived in Sychar, that was important to you. A well was where people went to draw their water for the day. Now this was a prominent well. This was a very good well. Wells are fed by underground springs. And the more abundant the underground springs, the more abundant the water. This was an area where the well was bubbling over with water. It was a famous well. It was a well so famous that they, it was passed down in their heritage that Jacob had that well to his son Joseph and it passed down at that time to the Samaritans. Now everyone would go to that well because that was a place of conversation first thing in the morning or before the sun would set. And they would go there because that's where people would go to draw the water. Typically the servants would go there to draw water or the women would go there to draw water. And when they did so they would carry a huge pitcher. Because they didn't want to go back again another time during the day. They'd go one time a day. They'd let down their containers. They'd fill up that p- container with water. Then they b- b- uh, would put it back on their shoulder or their hand. And they carried it the distance to walk all the way in. This well was very, very famous to those people. It was very important to them. No one ever imagined this well drying up. No one ever imagined this well being depleted. No one ever imagined that this well would never be faithful. It was a reliable and trustworthy well. The people would go there daily because they could count on it being done. But remember now, at this well, people only went during two times of the day. They went at the beginning of the day, right as the sun would rise or before it would rise when it was very cool or at the end of the day when it was cooler as the sun was setting. We see the well. But we see secondly, this woman, is told, we're told here, she went there in verse 6 at the sixth hour. Now if you're not familiar with that, you might want to write this in your Bible. The sixth hour was, the, was 12 o'clock noon our time. That was the height of the sun. That was the middle of the day. In that part of the world, like other parts of the world. 12 noon was not a very good time to go out. If your son was sensitive to the skin, you'd be more prone to getting perhaps skin cancer because you'd be in the sun too long. Or if it, you're out there, it's just too hot and unbearable. So that's why people would go during during the the, the, the early mornings or late, 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 late afternoons. But this woman went to the well at the 6 hour, which was 12 o'clock noon. She went there because she was withdrawn from other people. There was something going on in this woman's life. She did not want to be around crowds. She did not want to go where she could be seen. She went at an uncomfortable time to other people. She went there to be away from people. She went there when nobody else would be there. She would be there 12 noon, and there she would just in her own in her and uh, just her, in her withdrawn manner, she would drop the bucket a container to pull the water out, fill up her, her, her vase and fill it with water and she'd go back. This woman was withdrawn. She was reclusive from other people. She purposely was standoffish. She was a loner. You know, sometimes you and I could be like that. When our problems get the best of us, when we're overwhelmed with stress and worry and anxiety and problems and we have issues going on in our life that we don't have, we can't, we can't navigate through. We're not sure how it's going to turn out. Maybe we're concerned about our job. Maybe we're concerned about a project. Maybe we're concerned about a doctor's appointment. Maybe we're concerned about a downturn in our situation. Maybe it's about something going on with our children. Something going on with our spouse. Something going on with our mother and father, whatever it may be. All of us have dynamics that go on in our lives that can preoccupy our minds. And when it's so heavy, when it's so overwhelming, we feel like we withdraw and pull away. And this woman, as we'll see, she was withdrawn because she had a lot of things going on in her life. A lot of things that she knew that she didn't like. She was miserable. She was living regrets. This woman, Woman was withdrawn, But notice something else. Notice verses 9 to 15. This woman was withdrawn, but this woman was also weighted. She was weighted down. Let me read verses 9 to 15 so you can understand what's going on there. The woman goes there, and we read about the fact that she carried this vase with her. And uh, it says here in verse 9, Then saith the woman of Samaria, as Jesus engaged her in conversation, verse 7, she responds to him and says, Well, how is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. Then the woman said unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father?" Father Jacob, which gave us the well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle. And Jesus answered and said to her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. I want you to uh, capture what's going on here. Notice verse 28. Verse 28 tells us this woman had a water pot. Now, imagine with me this woman. She lived a distance away from where this well was. The well was just outside the gate of the city. Everyone would have to make the same pathway and journey to this well. And everyone that went there, they would bring their water pot. Now, a water pot could be a container vessel that could contain anywhere from 8 to 20 gallons of water. Now, a gallon of water in their turns, a gallon could weigh up to 8 pounds according to dry measure. And so, anyone carrying that, you'd realize that that could be very heavy. Now, it's one thing to pick it up. It's another thing to pick it up and to carry it back there. And I want you to imagine, I don't know if I can pick this up here, but I want you to imagine this woman that she's got this, she's got this, 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 this vase on her, and she's carrying it, and she somehow perfected a technique where she's put this vase on her shoulder, or on, I'm not going to put it on my head, but on her head there, okay? And uh, so she makes her way... And you can imagine she's making weight. The, as each step she's going on, she's feeling the weight of this vase. She's feeling it weighing her down and weighing her down and weighing her down. And you can imagine the sweat is breaking off her brow. It's the middle of the day. You can imagine her perspiration is dripping. You can imagine her feeling the weight on her body. Her body is aching. Her hands are getting callous. Her shoulder is hurting. You can imagine every day she'd think, oh, I've got to go through this routine again I've got to pick up the, the, the vase and I've got to fill it up with water again and you can imagine on that particular day she had no idea that Jesus Christ had come to that well to meet her but she's holding this well on her on this, this vase on her shoulders and she gets to this well and approaches it and she does so she looks up and she sees a man this man she sees she knows he's not a Samaritan she can tell by his skin tone she can tell by his dress and demeanor that he's a Jewish man there is no question in her mind that he was a Jewish man and so she's just mind your own business. Jews had nothing to do with Samaritans. Samaritans had nothing to do with Jews. And so she just accepted them. She accepted the fact, notices that she was rejected. Now this woman is weighted. She's weighted down with this burden of this vase. And that water pot, if you would, was a symbol of this woman's life. It was a symbol of the burdens that she carried. The burdens of rejection. The burdens of being withdrawn. The burdens of being unloved. The burdens of, of not knowing what to do and where to go. And she's feeling just overwhelmingness about her life. She's weighted down. You know, burdens can be very difficult no matter who we are. Burdens will make us bend under its weight. Burdens will make us feel bitter about life. Burdens can be brutal. Burdens can be unbearable. When you have a burden, it's unique to you. Your burden might feel great to you, but not feel great to me. I might not, Because I'm unaffected by it. And my burden I might have, you may not feel the same, but it feels unbearable to me. And whatever that burden is, it's like a heavy weight that we have on our shoulder in our life that's bearing down. Imagine the burden in her soul. Imagine the anxiety. Imagine, if you would, the sleepless nights. Imagine the insomnia. Imagine the worry. Imagine her wondering what's going on. It's on the burrow of her frow. You can notice on expression on her face. You can notice that there's no smile on her. and There's a sadness in her heart. You can imagine that lady went there. Here is a woman that's withdrawn from society. Withdrawn from the city of Sychar. She didn't want to be with other people. Here is a woman feeling the weight of her burden and the burden of her problem. She's a woman very weighted down by the problems of life. Of rejection. Of being unloved. Of making mistakes. Of living in sin. This woman is withdrawn. This woman is weighted but notice something else. As she engages in conversation. Jesus talks to her, and she says, she's surprised, she says, what are you doing? You're a Jew. You're not supposed to talk to me. You're not supposed to have anything to do with me. She says, I'm a woman on top of that. Men are not to socially approach to women like that. He says, what are you doing, sir? You're at this well. Do you know what you're doing? And he talks to her, and he says, would you give me something to drink? And she said, so there's there's this this form of hospitality. She asked for water. Of course, he had nothing to draw with. And she said, well, sir, you have nothing to draw with. He says, yes, I know that, ma'am. But he says, you know what? Give me some.'" water to drink. And then he makes these statements if you go back to John chapter 4 that are wonderful statements. He said to her in verse 10, if thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saved thee, give me to drink, thou would have asked him, "Him," and who had given thee living water. Now Jesus in that verse is revealing to her his deity. He's revealing to her that he's someone special. He's letting her, giving her a cue that he's the son of God, but she's not really getting at that moment of time. Now Jesus knew all about what was in her heart. He knew this woman had great spiritual desires but she didn't know how to get her spiritual desires met. And so he talks to her in verse 10 if you knew the gift of God. And that's why we're here this morning. God wants you to know the gift of God. He wants you to know there's a special gift that's specially wrapped up for you. It's a good gift and it's a perfect gift. It's a gift that comes down from above, from our Father in heaven, who is who's filled with lights, and there's no variable, there's no shadow turning. And he says, If you knew, if you just knew who I was, if you just knew what I could do for you, you would have said, Would you give me living? water that I could drink of. And he introduced a thought to her that as we look at it, you and I would look at it and say, what does he mean by living water? Well, if you were if you were familiar with the Old Testament, and she was, living water was associated with fountains. In Jeremiah chapter 2, God presents himself as the fountain of living waters. Living waters had the idea of this fountain or this well she was at. Because underneath, everybody knew that when you dug a well, and it was a good well, and a successful well, that it was bubbling up. It was, it was being fed by these wonderful wonderful underground springs. It was a well that never would run dry. It was a well that would always give you sustaining water. It was a well that would be refreshing and resourceful. And you'd go there knowing, I ran out of water from yesterday, but thank God I could come today to get new water. And so he comes this woman, introducing an Old Testament thought, that, that she hadn't heard for a long time. He says, if you just knew who I was, I can give you living water. And so you can imagine this woman who's feeling the burden, this weight of this vase on her shoulder. She's feeling it and she's, about, she's bending over. She says, she's putting it down. If thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that speaketh to thee, I would give you living water. And so he's got her attention. But let's go on a little bit further. As she's speaking to him, she's asking him, Sir, has, do you have nothing to draw with. And from whence has thou that living water? And he's got her, he's got her her attention there because she wants to know, hey, I know about that living water. God talked about that living water in Jeremiah. He talked about fountains in the book of Proverbs. And fountains, if you would, were synonymous and equated with wells. And wells were important for the economy. You and I take water for granted. We just go to the sink, we turn on the faucet, and there comes the water. Amen? You know, we just take that for granted. And our, our biggest worry is, is the water on. Did the water utility got me to turn the water on? But in those days, if you didn't have a well, you didn't have water. You had to wait till the rain came. And rain was seasonal. And so, when you had a well, it was predictable that there you'd go and you'd get the water. And so this woman in her mind, she's thinking, well, I'm at the well and I'm getting some physical water but what's this water this man's talking about? What's this water he's talking about? And Jesus said to her, he could tell, now he's got her attention and he's drawing out of her the fact that deep inside of her soul she was thirsty. I don't know about you but I I try to be careful of staying hydrated during the day. And whether I feel thirsty or not, I try to make sure I drink a sufficient amount of water to stay hydrated. But when you're thirsty, you can't help but get water. Jesus is originating this woman's heart a deep, deep thirst. She's realizing deep down in her heart because she's weighted down with her burdens that she's thirsty. And so Jesus said to her, whosoever drink of this water, he's pointing at the well. He's sitting on the well right there and he's pointing to it. Whosoever drink of this water shall thirst again. And she's thinking, wait, what are you talking about? She says, of course we're going to thirst again. And he's trying to differentiate the physical from the spiritual. And then notice what he does here in verse 14. He says, but whosoever, it's an open invitation, drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. Now he's got the attention off the well onto him. He's got the attention off physical water over into living water that Jesus Christ gives. Now watch what that does. Here's a woman standing there at that well, being asked to draw water to give to this man, but instead he turns that around, and Jesus is talking about giving her water that will satisfy her deep longing inside. He's swallowing her face. She's, she's, just, she's just overloaded on her face. Perspiration's perspiration is coming down there's a burrow on her frowns there's a there's a there's a frown on her face she has the weight of the world on her shoulders she puts this face down she says i want to know about that living water what's this living water that you're talking about well notice this woman is wearied notice this woman this woman is weighted notice this woman is withdrawn she hasn't had a conversation like this maybe in weeks and days and months with anybody outside of her own home and notice jesus reveals that this woman is wicked Notice what happens. We go a little bit further. And Jesus said to her in verse 16, Go call thy husband and come hither. So Jesus, if you would, he would say, Okay, ma'am, you want to know about living water? Go get your husband. Tell your husband to come. Now Jesus is working his way there. And I want you to understand, he wasn't being mean. He wasn't being cunning. He wasn't being undermining. But he wanted to help this woman to understand why she had this spiritual need. And why she had these burdens. And why she felt the weight of the world on her shoulders. He said, Go call thy husband. And this is what her response was. You can imagine she got a little bit tense. Um, sir, so I don't have a husband. She didn't want to talk about it. Sometimes when we go, uh, we tell people of the gospel, I will joke with them. I said, now, do you believe you're a sinner? They say, of course I'm a sinner. We've all sinned. I said, would you like to talk about those sins? They said, oh no, we're not going down there, amen. You know? And nobody wants to talk about their sins. And this woman, she's realizing Jesus is speaking to her and she's feeling extremely tense. And Jesus says to her, notice if you would, verse, verse 618. For thou has had Uh, Excuse me, go back to verse 17. The woman answered, said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands. And he stops. You could hear a pin drop at that moment. He's now exposing to this woman. The reason she's burdened down is because of sin in her life. You see, under Jewish law... Under Jewish law, a divorce or remarriage at that time was considered adultery. And adultery was punishable by stoning, a person be put to death. And we don't have to read far between the lines to realize this woman had a lot of uh, immoral activity going on that led to her getting married. She had to get married. But here's the thing I want you to catch this morning. She had five failed marriages. All of her relationships had failed her. There was a woman hurting inside looking for relationships, looking for a relationship that would help her. I believe this woman was used. I believe this woman was abused. But I also know, I believe that she had enough of a conscience to know right from wrong. And she entered into five relationships that messed her up. And then notice what, she, notice what Jesus said to her. For thou hast had five husbands. And notice this. And he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. And that, that thou saidst, thou saidst truly. Ouch. I mean, it's like. Jesus looked at her and says, ma'am, I know all about you. I know all about you. And he's helping you to understand, help you and me to understand that, that the reason why we have these weights and these burdens and these anxieties is because of sin. Sin is a heavy burden. Sin weighs us down. Invariably, everybody in this room, you have something in your life you don't want anybody to know about. You're just thankful between you and God. Only God knows about it. And Jesus knew about this woman's sorrows, but he also knew about her sins. This woman was withdrawn. This woman was weighted. This woman was wicked. But notice something else. This woman was wasted. As we look at this woman, notice in verses 11 to 15, as she's speaking to Jesus, I want you to dramatize this with me for just a minute. She's engaged in a very emotional conversation with him. Would you notice some things very quickly, how this woman shows she's, she's wasted? First of all, would you notice the daily grind of life made her empty. This woman was at the place in life where she was empty. You know what? She came there with one purpose. She was carrying this heavy vase. It was empty. And that water pot represented her life. It was heavy, heavy and it was empty, there was nothing in her life. And she came there, and she put it down, and she felt empty. And she realized the daily grind of her life. She says, relationships, I've had relationships that have failed, I don't have any friendships, I've been used, I've been abused, I've been hurt, I'm hurting inside. And she said, if you only knew Jesus, how much I'm hurting, and she doesn't know he's the son of God at that moment. And she's just, deep inside, she's thinking, you know, this is my life, I'm carrying this heavy pot, I'm going there every morning to get the water, this is something the men should be doing, and, I, and here I'm doing it. And I'm doing servant work like this. And she says, that's my daily grind. And she was weighted and she felt wasted by her daily grind. Notice something else here. She starts talking about her traditions. She talked about this being Jacob's well. And she knows about this water being fed by underground springs. But notice something else. She's wasted because the passed down traditions she received made her empty. You know what? She's going through same traditions, And she's conversing with Jesus. She's realizing these traditions we have, they make me feel empty. She says, I know this was passed down from Jacob to Joseph. But there's something about it. It's not fulfilling to me. Traditions don't help me. Hey, I'm thankful for the tradition of Christmas. But I'm going to tell you, Christmas without Jesus Christ is unfulfilling this morning. This woman is feeling, but notice something else. Her religion made her feel empty. We've gone a little bit further, and she, now that Jesus has helped this woman to understand who she is and what she's all about, notice she turns to him and says in verse 19, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. And she said, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And ye say that Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Now, you know what she's doing? She's trying to discern her mind. Well, maybe, maybe I've been worshipping the wrong place. I've been worshipping on the mountain Samaria. Maybe what I need to do is go to Jerusalem, which was also a mountain, and maybe that's where I'm going to worship. You know, a lot of people think if I change churches, that's going to be the secret. Changing churches is not the secret. Changing churches or changing the religion is not the secret. It's not the religion. It's the relationship. Jesus was drawing this woman to understand it's a relationship that you need. It's not a relationship with an individual. It's a relationship with me, God's holy son. And he wanted to understand, yes, religion does fail you. Religion leaves you empty. Religion leaves you void. Religion leaves you in this place you're wondering, where does it all go? How come nothing's happy? And that's what's happening her. And as we get in this conversation what this woman has with Jesus, he describes to her what true worship is all about. In verse 24, He said, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And she's realizing her worship was flawed because her worship was based upon what she saw. She was more concerned about sights and sounds than she was in spirit and in truth. And here's the thing. As we come to God, God wants us to come with complete transparency and truthfulness. You know what worship is supposed to do for us? Worship is to help us realize our need for God. It's supposed to help us see that there are sins in our life, and we need forgiveness. And if you're not saved, is to help you understand you need Jesus Christ as your Savior. He is the Spirit. And true worship is coming with an unpretentious heart, with a desire to confess our sins, a desire to burn everything at the altar and say, God, I come to you today in spirit and in truth. I come to you with all of my spirit, undistracted, and realize today, I need you in my life. Because at the end of worship, we have to realize that when we come to God telling Him that, that, that we need Him very badly, He fulfills that in every heart there. And so we find this woman who's wasted her life. She's been wasted. Wasted by the daily grind, and she's been wasted by her tradition, and she's been wasted by religion. It's been unfulfilling. We find a woman living in miserable regrets. Are you there today? Are you someone you know living with miserable regrets like this woman? But notice something else this morning. Secondly, we don't see a woman just in miserable regrets. We see this woman and her redeemer. That's the wonderful part of this today. This woman is, has experience of meeting a mighty redeemer. Notice, there's nobody else at this well except her and Jesus. The disciples are, it's 12 noon. They're thinking like, good Baptist, we got to go get some lunch, amen? And so they go into the town. They say, well, we haven't been here before. Let's go, find a, let's go find something we can eat. Let's go find the taqueria, amen, you know? Let's go find a noodle restaurant somewhere, you know. Let's go find something. We can find some food. They're, I mean, they're like good Baptists. They're thinking like you will in just about 30 minutes. Where are we going for lunch, amen? And they're thinking about where we're going to go to for lunch, what we're going to do there. And they're gone. And, and it was kind of good they were gone because he gave Jesus undistracted time with this woman to talk to her about her, her need for the Savior. And so notice what happens. As Jesus is speaking, I want you to see some things of how Jesus meets you and I at our point of need, our point of hurt, our point of sorrow, our point of suffering. First of all, notice Jesus is sympathetic to this woman. He doesn't yell at her. He doesn't rebuke her. He doesn't say things that puts her, you know, just making her feel extremely just like I'm nobody and I'm dirt and I'm worthless. No, Jesus comes to this woman with a very sympathetic heart. He doesn't push her way at others have done. He realized that her society had failed her. Her gender as a woman had failed her. Her status in life had failed her. But he doesn't push her He takes her just the way she is. And listen, I want to tell you this morning. It doesn't matter what your failures are. It doesn't matter what your situation is. Jesus takes you and me just the way we are today. He comes to us sympathetically. He comes to us with a heart of compassion beating out There's Compassion in his sympathy—he shows concern for her plight. He draws out of her what her need is, so she'd understand it. There's con- there's a, there's compassion and sympathy. You know, there's connection and sympathy. You know, if you don't want to connect with somebody, you just don't talk to them, right? You just ignore them, and go on. But Jesus, in his sympathetic way, drew a connection with this woman, so she would talk with him and go to him. And I want to tell you this morning as we read John chapter four, this woman at the well meets Jesus Christ, and Jesus wants a connection with you too. He doesn't want a temporary connection; he wants you to have a permanent connection. He wants you to know you just don't don't. come to him one time, you can come to him all the time. And he wants you to be connected to him in a vital way, that you have a living, vital relationship. Jesus is sympathetic to this woman. But notice, Jesus is straightforward with this woman. He tells her in verses 17 and 18 exactly where she's at. In fact, along the way, he tells her that she's got a thirst in her soul. Along the way, he reveals to her that her her sinful condition. Along the way, he helps her to understand her religion has failed her. I mean, he's revealed all these things. He's being very straight up with her. He's telling her, you've got the wrong idea about worship. You've got the wrong idea about religion. You've got the wrong idea about all these things. You've, got, you don't, you, you've tried to cover up your sin. He says you can't cover up your sin. He says, "Ma'am, I'm going to be really straightforward with you," and he did it in such a loving way. But yet, her heart was convicted. She felt a prick in her heart that she was not living right for God. You see, the Bible tells in Romans three twenty three, "For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God." And what that's telling us is that Jesus Christ is the glory of God. The glory of God is His holiness. It's His perfection. And because we're sinners, we all come short of that. We're never going to meet the benchmark of God's holiness. And so no matter what we do in the way of good works, we never can do enough good works. And as I've said many times before, God never gives us credit for our good works. Our good works will not satisfy our need because we all have sinned and come short of that glory. So there's got to be a way in which how do we get up to being meeting the benchmark? How do we get to the place where we meet the glory? And the Bible goes on further by telling us that the wages of sin is death and the soul that sinneth, it must die. And so as we understand sin this morning, Jesus is being very straightforward because she knew all that. She knew what Psalms 14 said about a sinner. She knew what Ezekiel 18 said about a sinner. She knew Psalm 51. She knew Psalm 58. She knew all those verses of Scripture that describe that we're born in iniquity and we have sin in our life. And deep down her heart, she's thinking, man, I'm in trouble right now because she says, I'm feeling the burden of this situation. I just put down this water pot. And this water pot, she looked at it represented an empty life, and she said, I've had nothing fulfilling. Religion can't help me. Good work does not help me. My relationships have failed me. All of these things have happened, and she's looking to Jesus to help her through her situation, and he's just being very straightforward. Let me tell you this morning, some of the things I just said leading up to this point, they're very difficult things to say, and they're very difficult things to comprehend, because nobody wants to be told they're a sinner. Nobody wants to be confronted with their individual sins. Nobody wants to know that they've got these needs. Nobody wants to know that you don't want other people to know your problem. You want to be private. You want to be confidential you don't want people to know that you're hurting you don't want to know people to know that you failed you don't want people to know that your relationships haven't done anything for you you don't want people to know that your religion's not done you well you don't want people to know any of those things but jesus drew all that out of her he got it out of her he was being very straightforward and i am just telling you this morning jesus has to be straightforward with us for so as to understand our need for him and so we see a jesus who's sympathetic and a jesus who's straightforward but i like this part we see jesus who will be her savior Jesus comes to this woman for one reason. He didn't come to give her a pat on the back. He didn't come to give her a motivational speech. Jesus didn't come to make her feel like she could go home and things go out. She needed a Savior. She needed to be saved. And Jesus draws her into, into a discussion. Notice, if you would, first of all, go back to verses 11 to 16. First of all, Jesus uses an illustration that was colorful. He uses an illustration, you've got to understand. He talks to her as they stand at that well about living water. And he says to we people, go back to John, John chapter 4. Do you notice it again? He says, he said to her, If thou knewest, in verse 10, the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. And then verse 13, Whosoever drinketh of this water, pointing to the well, shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him. A water, notice this, a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Now he's taking the, 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 the image there, the picture of this well, which was fed by underground springs and was bubbling up with water, he's using that to describe what he would give her. He said, ma'am, he said, the water that I give you, he's talking about eternal life, forgiveness of sins, the saving of her soul, the washing of her sins. He said, the water that I give you will spring up inside you. Listen, you want a if you're going to draw water from a well, you want to know that water is alive. You don't want stagnant water because there's diseases and sicknesses with stagnant water. But this water water was alive, was bubbling over, was fed by these underground springs. And he says, when you believe on me as my as your Savior, when you accept the fact that you're a sinner that needs to be saved, inside of you I will create inside of you a well of water springing up into life eternal. He says, ma'am, can you understand what's going to happen Up, You're going to be bubbling inside. You're going to be you're going be just excited inside that something wonderful has happened to you. Look at it again. He says, that the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting Life. he said ma'am more than you need right now than just relief from the burden you need to look at the you need to look at the tail end of things you need to look at where the pathway should be god wants you to know for sure that you're safe god wants you to have everlasting life how many understand everlasting life means forever 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 and forever amen that's everlasting life. It means forever, 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 and forever. It's unending. It will never end. Now, you read a book. The best part of the book, after you've read 700 pages, is the end. Amen? You know? is when you get to the end there. Or if you get to a place, like, you want to know what's going on. But you know what's good about the Christian life? It's forever, and forever, and forever, and forever, and forever. Why? Because Jesus lives in you. And because Jesus lives in you, he creates better than a Jacob's well that's fed by underground springs. He creates in you and me a well of water, springing up into everlasting life. It's alive. It's fluid. It's unending. It'll never stop. He creates it as a satisfying life and a wonderful life. So he uses this illustration and she's thinking, remember now, she hasn't filled her water pot. Her water pot is sitting there and it's now gone from 12 to probably 1 o'clock and it's even hotter that moment and perspiration is coming down her face and the burdens of life are gripping her soul and she's feeling a lot of tension because Jesus has revealed her what she didn't want anybody to know. I've had five husbands and the one I'm living with right now, not my husband. And she's filling all that. And so when she hears about this well of water, that, that instead of a well here she draw water from, her life could be a well. And it would be fed by these springs. And she's wondering, where are these springs coming from? And it's Jesus Christ she's is talking about there. He's talking about, I will be the springs of living water bubbling up into you. So he uses this illustration. But notice he uses that to tell her for inadequacy. Look at verse 13 again. He says, Ma'am, whosoever drinketh of this water, Jacob's well, Will always be thirsty. You'll thirst again. There's just some things in life, most things in life, they're not satisfying. You drink of this water, you'll thirst again. She had five husbands. The one she was living was not her husband. She was thirsty for a right relationship. She was thirsty not to be used, not to be abused. Not to be hurting. Whosoever drink of this water, if, if you're trying to find satisfactory religion, you drink of that water, you'll keep on thirsting. You say, well, I'm gonna, I want to be part of an organization. Well, we'd be part of an organization. You'll still keep thirsting. He's saying all the things aside from a relationship with Jesus Christ, you can drink of all those different waters. They will keep you thirsty. He's helped her understand her inadequacy. Do you understand this morning? When we're hurting, we understand we have inadequacy. We understand that deep inside, there's something missing. There's something that's empty in our life. And she as she did. She took a glance and looked at that empty pitcher, that empty water punch. She said, man, he's, he's in right on the nose. She said, man, the, the hammer head is right on the nail. He's expressing to me where I'm at. He gave her this. He helped her to see her inadequacy through this illustration. But notice verse 14. He gives her an invitation. Would you circle these words? Whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him. He gave her an invitation. Would you understand the love of Jesus Christ at that moment? When he said whosoever, he was thinking beyond that woman because he knew this woman would have a great impact on other people's lives. You know what's great about Christianity and the gospel message? It's for everybody. Amen? It's for everybody. As long as we can get into that language, it's for every whosoever means whosoever. It's not restricted to a group of people. It's not nationalistic. It's for everybody, whosoever. And so he gives her this invitation about the water that he would give him, living water. What you notice very quickly in verses 14 to 26, what is this living water? Well, notice a few things. Number one, it's a redeemed life it's a life that's redeemed. It's a life that's, that's, that's been saved. It's come to Jesus Christ and God their sins washed under his blood. He said a well of water springing up into everlasting life. You have to take it. You have to receive it by faith. You have to accept it. He's not going to force it on you. It's not going to pour out of heaven upon you. You must accept it by faith. It's a redeemed life. A redeemed life begins when by faith we take Jesus Christ as Savior. But notice a, this invitation revealed to her a reconciled life. When he did so, her sins would be forgiven forever. Reconciliation means when there's something wrong between me and another person, reconciliation means we make everything right. We're on a good accord. And Jesus said, I'm going to reconcile you. He said he would redeem her. But notice something else. As he talked about this invitation, he talked about a refreshing life. Notice he said, you shall never thirst again. He says, you know what? You're not going to thirst again. You're not going to want those things that don't satisfy because you'll find a relationship with me, Jesus Christ, is fully satisfying. You can imagine. This woman looked at her water pot that was empty. She'd say, man, I've been doing this for all my life. I've been coming here as a little girl with this pot and I'm filling with water and I despise carrying that burden and being like this. And he says, there's something what Jesus was saying that was appealing to her about having a refreshing life, you'll never thirst again. And I want to tell you this morning that when you come to Jesus Christ by faith, you'll never thirst again. You don't have to worry about your spiritual need because Jesus Christ will fulfill that spiritual need. He gives you eternal life. He makes you a child of God. He washes away your sins. He gives you the peace of God that passes all understanding. He works in your life. And then something else, He gives her a resourceful life because later on in John chapter 7, I imagine this woman, after she trusted, put her faith in Jesus Christ, she was one of those who followed Him. And she followed Him back from Sychar down to Jerusalem and there Jesus Christ probably saw that woman there in the midst as they were pouring out the water during the feast, the fe- during one of the feasts of that time and he says to the he talked about uh, he talked about living water again, he talks about a well of water, rivers of living water coming out of a person's life and he talked about this life that this woman could have, could have meaningfulness in her life. Hey, he comes to this woman as Savior and that's what Jesus wants to do today. He comes to every hurting soul who's not saved. He comes to today to realize you can be saved from your sin. You can find forgiveness. You can find fulfillment. You can find hope. You can find peace. You can find strength through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so we see this woman who has miserable regrets. And we see this woman who finds a mighty redeemer. So what happens to this woman? Last week, as the story was ending on the Christmas musical... Numerous people with tears in their eyes because they were so touched by the story by that the narrators said, that our narrators did such a great job with. They came to me in private and they said, Pastor, I just got one question. I said, I said Yeah, what's that question? They said, What happened to the father in the story? We said, Come back next year. Amen, you know. But uh, uh, you know, they wonder what happened to the story, what happened to the father? Well, if we end a story right there, we have to ask the question what happened to this woman? What happened to her? Did her life get changed? Something great happened. This woman meets a mighty redeemer, and this woman becomes an instrument for mighty revival. Would you notice what happens here? This woman, as we get to this tail end, would you notice these verses? I'm going to read it and tell you what happened. Notice verse 25. The woman saith to him, "I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ, when he is come, he will tell us all things." Now you know what she's saying there? She says, "I know my Bible well enough to know this that the anointed one, the Messiah, the one who would come to die for my sins that Isaiah 53 spoke about and Psalms 22 spoke of, she says, I know that Messiah will come. She was waiting for that Messiah. Even though the Samaritans and the Jews had their differences, both were waiting for the Messiah. Would you notice how Jesus reveals himself to her? Because she said earlier, you must be a prophet. You're somebody greater than a normal man. You're not a typical Jew. She says, you must be a prophet. And when she's talked about the Messiahs and the Christ, notice verse 26. Jesus saith to her, I that speak unto thee am he. You know what he's saying? Ma'am, I'm the one. I'm the one. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? Why do you go to water fountains that cannot satisfy? Jesus is the one. He said, I am he. I'm the one you're looking for. I'm Christ. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one that's come to die for your sins. I'm the one that's come to give you a redeemed life, a satisfying life. And that woman, notice between verses 26 and 27, he says that to her. The disciples now come on the scene. They're just walking back. They're coming back with their in and out burgers. Amen, you know? They're coming back with their lunch. And they're here in verse 27. And he's, they see Jesus talking to this woman. And it's just, you know, he's putting, he's putting the, the clothes on this discussion because in her heart, I, I believe at that moment in verse 27, I believe she's praying the prayer of faith and asking Jesus Christ in her heart to save her, okay? And they're coming in, and they didn't want to disturb it. They're wanting, okay, now what's going on here? The master's talking to the Samaritan woman. We're not supposed to talk with Samaritans. And she's talking with them. What's going on here? Just, what, what, and they were learning ministry. They're learning that the gospel's for everybody, Amen. And watch what happens in verse 27, 28. The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the men, come see a man which told me all things that ever I did is not this, the Christ. Would you imagine the story? She's put the water pot down. She knows that she's talking to Christ, the Savior of the world. She says, I know all those scriptures. As she said though, the Bible says she left her water pot. Would you notice this this morning? What she did with that water pot tells us that woman got saved, that she got converted. Because number one, there was a parting in her life. Everyone needs a parting. And that parting was revealed through this. She had to realize that there were unfulfilled dreams, unfulfilled life, everything about that water pot. She left her water pot. You know when you get saved? You're going to leave, you leave those sinful things behind. You leave the past behind. Can I tell you something today? When you get Jesus Christ as your Savior, you'll still have scars, but leave the water pot behind. Leave that, that container that's filled with your burdens and your problems. Leave it behind and realize you've got something to live for. We've got to part with our old ways. You see, when you get Jesus Christ your Savior, you know what you're telling people? If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You're a new person. She realized that her life was revolving around this empty water pot. And she said, you know what? I don't need that water pot. But she's so excited about her life, she parts with a water pot. And notice there's a purpose. This woman runs into the city. And what's she doing there? You know what's going on in her mind? What Jesus did for me. There's a lot of people that I've hurt and have hurt me. i got to go tell them what Jesus did for me because they need that same Jesus in their life. Look again at verse 28 and 29. It says, the woman then left her water pot and she went her way into the city and she saith to the men. Notice she went to the men. What men? The men that hurt her. The men that abused her. All the men in that city that took advantage of that woman. All those men that knew about her sinful past. It was a discussion among the men. She didn't, want to form, she didn't want to have fellowship with women because the women would ostracize her. But the men knew about her. And so she went to the men and she said, hey, I've got to tell you something. Come. Come over here. I want you to meet somebody. Come with me. I've got something great I want to show you. I've got something great I want you to see. Come with me. Hey, come see a man. I want you to meet a man. Listen, you're gonna and this, you have to understand this. She's telling them to come meet a Jew. These are Samaritans. She's saying, Hey, I want you to come. Samaritans wouldn't come out of their way to meet a Jew. She said, Come see a man, the significance of a mighty man, a redeemer man, a savior man. This is the God man that she's talking about. She says, Come see a man which told me all things whichever I did. He told me that the emptiness of my life, and he told me about the sins of my life, and he told me about the problems of my life. Come see a man which told me all the things that I did. Notice what when she says, this has to be the Christ. Is not this the Christ? You know, this woman found purpose in her life. You know what purpose is found? And realizing after you get saved, you want other people to get saved, amen? You want other people to hear the gospel. You want other people to know that Jesus is in the saving business. You want other people to meet your Jesus. You want to bring them to church to hear the gospel message. You want them to meet the Jesus who can change their life. And listen, this woman did so. And the Bible says in verse 30, Then they went out of the city and came to him. This woman, this woman whose reputation was soiled, and this woman who could be questioned, there was something about her tone, and there was something about her invitation to the, all these people in the city, that they came. The Bible says the men in scores... They came out and followed this woman to Jesus. And now she brought all her friends and she brought all her enemies and people that had hurt her in life. She brought these same people to Christ. Hey, you know what's the evidence of a saved life? You're not letting your hurts pull you down. And you're not going to let the bitterness of the past pull you down. You're going to put that aside realize, if Jesus could change me, he can change those people that hurt me as well. Amen. And so he brings these men to Jesus and they come to him. And notice as they go to him, Jesus talked to him. Scroll down a little bit further. Notice verse 39 and we're done. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified, he "He told me all that ever I did. And this woman meets this mighty redeemer, Jesus Christ, and she becomes the instrument, the catalyst for great moving revival in her city. You see, this city did nothing with Jews, but Jesus broke the racial barrier. And Jesus showed them the religion was empty. And Jesus showed them the traditions were empty. And Jesus helped them understand Christianity is about a relationship, a relationship with God's Son, Jesus Christ. And all these men who were terrible men, they were worse than her because of what they did to her. The Bible says they believed on him as well. They believed on Jesus because they, in the same way, as that empty water pot was standing there right by the well, it symbolized the life of every single person in the city of Sychar. Their lives were empty. Their lives were just unfulfilling, and they needed something, and somebody to change that. And these men come to Christ. You see, the Bible says that Jesus Christ died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but to him which died for them and rose again. Look again verse 39. Many of those Samaritans believed on Jesus for the saying of that woman. Then notice verse 40. So when the Samaritans were coming to him, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he bode there two more days. Now watch what happens. Jesus is at the wall, well of, well of uh, Jacob. No Jew was, would venture into the city. Scores of men come to him because of saying the woman. She's just standing in the background. She brought all her friends to Christ. They listened to him. They get saved. They said, you know what, Jesus? Our city needs what you have. Would you come with us? They brought him to the city. They brought a Jew into the city, but he was more than a Jew. He was Jesus, amen? They brought Jesus to that city. And the Bible says many more believed on him, not because of that woman, but because the testimony of those men. You see what happens today? Our church is 19 years old, going on 20 years in January. This church exists not because personalities or because of money, because we need money, we don't have money, or buildings, or programs. Our church exists today because we're one sinner telling another sinner about their need for Jesus Christ. As I close up this morning... You're just looking at one sinner. Somebody asked me this week, they said, hey, do you have a biography that you could send me? I said, what are you looking for? I don't have a biography. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Amen, you know. And that's all we're about. We want you to know Jesus. He's the one that can give you living water. He can take this empty picture of your life, which symbolizes emptiness, unfulfillment, hurt, burdens, You can part from it. That woman never carried it back because her life got changed. She became a vessel. She was filled with the love of Christ. She received his forgiveness. She came at his family. That's what God wants you to do today. The truth for hurting people, there's a Jesus that's there waiting to fulfill your life because he died for your sins and rose again from the dead. Would you receive him like this woman did? Would you take Jesus as your personal Savior? Would you find hope and fulfillment in a Christ who can satisfy? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for prayer. Deep down inside, did God speak to you about a spiritual thirst that you have, a need that you have? God invites you this morning, just like this woman. It wasn't a chance meeting. It was a choice meeting. Jesus went to Sychar. For that woman, he must needs go through Samaria. And Jesus has come here to 2960 Merced Street here in San Leandro at Heritage Baptist Church for every single person that's hurting this morning. And he comes to you today to offer you the free gift of eternal life. He's the well of water that can spring up unto eternal life. He offers you living water today. You'll never thirst again, you'll, you'll find fulfillment in him. You'll find fulfillment, you'll find forgiveness, you'll find a future, because heaven will be your home. In just a moment, I'm going to invite you this today to reach out and take that living water, just as that woman did. You notice, since we read that, there was no fanfare about how she got saved, she just simply believed on Jesus Christ. In the privacy of where you're seated right now, you can believe on Jesus Christ. You don't have to feel uncomfortable, you don't have to feel like you're being looked upon, you can just come very simply before the Lord Jesus Christ today, right where you're seated and calling him to save you. Can I help you with that today? I want to invite you this morning. If you know you're not saved and you know that there's a thirst in your soul to get Jesus in your life, you can call him right now. You can pray and exercise faith this morning and ask him Christ to save you. Here's what you can pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I have a thirst in my soul like that woman. I'm a sinner. With an empty life, with many failures, and I need Jesus Christ, your Son, to be my Savior. I believe Jesus is God who died for my sins and rose again from the dead. I take Jesus right now by faith to be my Savior for eternal life and the forgiveness of sins. Thank you, Lord, for that living water in Jesus' name. I'm gonna ask you to do something very important right now. Because if you just exercise faith in asking Jesus Christ in your heart to save you, it's important that that you acknowledge to the Lord that, you know, Lord, I know I have you as my savior. Because you know that woman, she didn't keep it private. With excitement, she went back to the city. She left her water pot. And she went back and told other people with nobody looking, just the preacher. Is there a man or woman, boy or girl, that would say without any restraint, unashamedly, Pastor Fong, I just prayed and asked Jesus Christ to be my savior. I realized today as you spoke about that woman, that everything going in that woman's life is how my life is. I just want you to know, Pastor Fong, that as was you prayed, I prayed and asked Jesus to be my Savior. Would you raise your right hand to indicate that this morning? Anyone like that today? You'd say, Brother, raise your right hand. I prayed and asked Jesus Christ to be my Savior just now. Anyone like that? Anyone like that today? You'd say around the room, I prayed and called on Jesus to be my living water. Anyone like that? Anyone like that? God bless you. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Amen. Amen. Who else today? I called on Jesus to be my living water today aren't you glad today Jesus is there for us for hurting souls and hungering hearts What oh, just a moment by the way there's some Christians this morning you're hurting inside you're hurting inside we invite you today to realize you've got to part with that empty water pot and take Jesus into your heart today and make sure today's a Christian that you just settle you, you submit it to the Lord and let God let the Lord live through you would you do that today who else today Who else today would say pastor i i i called on the lord to save me from my sins i realized my life is empty and unfulfilling i needed the lord who else today lord thank you for loving us thank you the love was shown at that well where jacob was at jacob's well was at a woman went there and not realized that day that all of her shattered life her broken life would be remade at that moment Lord, she received living water. and Her life became a well of, li- of living water bursting up in her. Father, today, thank you for the saving of our souls. Thank you that once we trust Christ as Savior, we're forever saved. Where you say in your word, he that has the son has life, and he that has not the son of God has not life. Lord, would you set on the hearts of those who prayed and called on Jesus to save them today? Give them that same peace and assurance that this woman at the well had. And, Father, help us to find purpose in our lives for you. Help everyone today who's got a hurt that they'd find solace and comfort and perfect peace through our Lord Jesus. We pray for that now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Let's stand. We're going to have an invitation hymn. I just invite you, if you haven't called on the Lord to save you, you come. And you want to acknowledge this morning, like that woman did, that you trusted Christ, you come today. We'd like to take you by their hand and let you know that we're, we're excited for you today. Would you do that today? Who else today? Who else today? Christian you're hurting hurting aside there needs to be some parting leave that old water pot behind and go back and tell somebody come see a man which told me all the things ever I did is not this the Christ he gives living water he redeems us he refreshes us we become a resource living water bursts alive in our hearts come today He's a loving Savior who loves us and cares for us. If you're hurting deep down inside, he can fix those wounds and those hurts. Would you let him today? Father, thank you today as around the room as counsel is being given and the Lord is working. We pray, Father God, that the peace of God that passes understanding would work in our hearts and minds. Be glorified in all that transpired this morning. Father, I pray that you'll help us in going from this service to give glory to God. We praise you today for this story and what it means to us. Dismiss us in a moment with your blessings. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you for being here this morning. And folks are being counseled with and encouraged right now. I hope you'll pray for them. But thank you for being here this morning. And we, we trust that you just would just see that today, that this woman, this is a real, real-life scenario, what God can do in your hearts and mind. I want to invite you back to our evening service tonight. It's going to be a great service this evening as we uh, continue our study on family portrait. And I remind the church family about next Sunday, the 23rd, is uh, the second of our 1K challenge for our special offering we're taking up for the building next door. And I want to really encourage you to come ready to give and participate for this Christmas offering. And then uh, we're looking forward to next Sunday, Sunday morning, being a wonderful Christmas service, and Christmas, and then Sunday night next week we're going to have a few more Christmas hymns and things we're going to do. But it'll be a wonderful, wonderful.